Happy 4th of July to all of you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us for worship. Those of you who join us online, glad to have you here this morning. Uh, for our church family, this is the first time oh, in over a year that we've been, that we haven't had two services. We've been about that. I'm glad to be back together with everybody here this morning. I know we've got a lot of folks that are out of town because uh, it is 4th of July weekend. We've got a lot of folks that are doing a lot of different things with their families and traveling, but I'm glad that you chose to be here. You took the time uh, to join us as well. Couple things to let you know about. First of all, we encourage our church family uh, today to you know to wear their patriotic gear for the Fourth of July, and a lot of you have done that, and that's awesome. I'm glad to see you uh, sporting the red, white, and blue today. Uh, also, at the end of our worship time today, or I guess after our worship time is over with, we're having a, a hamburger picnic uh, here at, at Flagstone, and so we would love for all of you to stay and be a part of that. You, don't, you didn't have to bring anything. All the food is being taken care of. We just want you here. And so um, for those of you who were planning on that, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you and eating some burgers together with you. For those of you who had other lunch, lunch plans, cancel them. Uh, you know, stay here and eat with us. For those of you who are supposed to meet somebody somewhere else, have them meet you here. And let's enjoy some time together after worship today. So we'd love for all of you to stay. And we'll get some instructions about that at the end of our worship time today. Last thing, or last two things I want to share with you is if you got uh, young ones with you and want to take advantage of our kids' ministry during our worship time, you're welcome to do that. We have some volunteers. If you just go right outside these doors and across the lobby, uh, we got some volunteers ready to take care of your kids, third grade and younger. Um, back in our kids area while you continue to uh, experience worshiping here with us. So anytime during our worship today, if you want to take advantage of that, you're more than welcome to do that. If you do want to keep your kids with you, that's fine as well. We have uh, right on the other side of this door, we have some activity bags for our younger kids. And so if you want to go get one of those for your kids uh, and help them have some activities to keep them engaged while you're engaging in worship with us, feel free to do that as well or even ask somebody. We'll bring one to you if that would make it easier for you, okay? I wanted you to know about that. And then we will be taking communion together this morning. And so after we have some thoughts and a prayer for our communion, uh, you should have a communion cup that looks like this uh, sitting on your chair. And uh, when we take communion together, we peel off the first lid and get the wafer and then peel off the second lid uh, and drink the juice. And that's how we'll take communion together this morning. So I wanted everyone to be aware of that. I think that's all the housekeeping things to, to take care of this morning. I'm excited to be worshiping with you today. I'm excited for the time we're going to spend singing, the time we're going to spend in prayer, the time we're going to spend in the Word, the time we're going to spend just connecting with each other today. So let's go to God and ask Him to bless our time of worship, and then we're going to watch a quick video this morning, and then we'll begin worshiping God together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you, God, on, on a day like today for us especially. We thank you for this country, for the blessings that you have given us. And God, we recognize, we acknowledge right now, you are, you are not just the God of America. You are the God of the universe. You love all people of, of all races and all colors and all countries. And we acknowledge that and we recognize that. But, God, we also recognize how blessed we are. You are the giver of all good things. And you have blessed us so richly by being a part of this amazing nation that we live in. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you for all the blessings that you give us. And we, uh, we celebrate today not just our, the anniversary of our declaration of independence we we celebrate that you have blessed us in the way you have that you have given us so many good things we thank you for that today so we ask you to bless our time of worship bless us as we sing and as we pray and as we listen to you speak to us and God if there are some things that need to be different about our lives uh, when we leave this place 
And make that obvious to us today as we worship together and, and help us see uh, what those changes are and give us a willingness to make some of those changes. If there's help that we need, give us a willingness and courage to reach out and say, I, I need some prayers. I need a shoulder to lean on. I need some help with this, this situation in my life. And God, help us as a church family have open eyes to see people who have some needs today and to reach out and to offer love and acceptance and hope and whatever uh, that we can do. God, we just, we just ask your presence to fill this place as we worship you today. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. morning. Please stand with me as we worship this morning. Clap your hands, all, all ye people, shout to God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all ye people, sing for joy unto the Lord. And we're singing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah,
the cross our wrath to bear. But God, so rich in mercy, took our place and saved us there. Lift him up, all praise to Jesus. Lift him up for all to see. Lift him up, the cross of Calvary, where mercy died to set us free. Our King, who reigns victorious, now sits upon his throne. Forever he is worshipped, glory to
church. Almost picked up the microphone stand with the microphone. Talk about muscles and goat. Uh, today's goat, we've been talking a lot about goats and stuff, and I was telling my dad that we've been going through a series of goats at church so far, and he was like, why are y'all talking about goats every week? Like, what is this? Come on, dad. Uh, but yeah, this week is all about Samson and that muscle man and him being strong, and Samson's just such a fun story to read, and I remember growing up as a kid, like, talking about Samson was so fun because you get to just, like, just really enjoy how mighty he was and all the neat stories, like, you know, thinking of how he caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together, and put torches in the middle of their tails so that they could go and set a fire to this field um, of grain in the Philistines. Like, what a power move. Uh, or you, you can also think about how, like, he got a, it says a fresh, a fresh jawbone of a donkey, which I'm not into uh, animals or that sort of agriculture thing, but why, how is it fresh? But anyway, he got a fresh jawbone of a donkey and took down a thousand guys, a thousand men with just a jawbone. And then probably the most, you know, at least in my opinion, one of the things he's really known for is, when, you know, his death, the way he died. You know, he was in that um, house or a temple with thousands of Philistines. I think it said like 3,000. And he was in there and he was and of course, chained to these uh, just pillars, and he just brings, literally brings the house down um, and just causes a massacre, and, and his own death and deaths of thousands, because he was just so mighty and strong, and, and you think of him, and you think of these big feats, and it reminds me of like how growing up, I would randomly click in through the cable, and I'd end up watching the, the TV show, The World's Strongest Man. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but these big dudes who are, you know, huge muscles up on top and that probably skipped leg day. You know, they're really top-heavy looking like a triangle walking around. And they're over here, like, literally pulling buses, like, with... <laughs> it's just crazy. And I think of Mr. Incredible, where, you know, he's trying to get more fit in the first or second movie. I can't remember which one. And he's, like, pulling these train cars like they're weights in the weight room. And I'm over here, like, lifting my 45-pound-year-old daughter, and I'm just getting exhausted. <laughs> Um, so all this has me thinking, like, what about Jesus? You know, it's communion. We need to get back to Jesus. Jesus doesn't really have any stories of, you know, just immense human strength. I mean, he flipped tables, and that's pretty impressive, I suppose, if the table's pretty big. But, you know, you don't have stories about him doing these big, physical, mighty feats. And yet we would say that he's mighty. We would say that Jesus is strong, right? So how does, what is strength in regards to Jesus? You know, how is how can we think about Jesus and, and being strong? <clears throat> so uh, I can't help but go to Isaiah 53. Uh, it's probably my favorite, one of my favorite passages about Jesus. So I'm going to read a few verses from Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So for Jesus, you know, he wasn't lifting buildings or, or, or doing these crazy things with trains, but he had the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. 
By his wounds we, were, we are healed. The wrath of God was upon him. Him and God from the beginning of eternity had this close, intimate relationship. And then on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Talk about strength. Talk about submission. So, so for me, when I think about Jesus and strength, I'm thinking about how he bled for us and how he was pierced for us and he didn't deserve it. He, he didn't deserve it. It's hard. I think even strong people physically, it's, it's difficult for us to do things that we don't deserve. If we get punished unfairly, it's tough. It takes a, a big amount of humility and meekness to go through something like that. So as I come back to communion thoughts, you know, I'm thinking, like, what does this mean for us? What should we do? I'm thinking we need to remember the cross daily. Like Luke 9.23 says, take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And then second, I think we should begin thinking about strength in a different way. Like sometimes being strong doesn't mean being the big shot or having all these big accomplishments or getting all the stat sheet filled. I think sometimes strength can look like humility, submission, or sacrifice. If you want to be the strongest husband you can be, Submit to your wife, just like Jesus did to the church. Or if you want to be the strongest wife you can be, you know, you know submit to your, to your husband. And it's, it's this beautiful back-and-forth relationship. And I think marriage is, an, is a great example of that. Um, and, of course, today is July 4th, and I love seeing everyone's merch and all the, the wonderful shirts. And I'm just reminded, like, man, our, the freedoms that we live with every day were bought with a price, that, that people sacrificed for the freedoms we enjoy every day. And I just, I can't help but take it for granted some days because you don't think about it, but I hope that today in this moment we not only take that freedom for granted, but we don't take the freedom that we have in Christ for granted. In Galatians 5 it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So I hope with this freedom that we have in Jesus, with the strength, the different kind of strength that Jesus can show us and that he showed on the cross, that we can just come back to him and, and really take his blood, take his body, and recalibrate back to the image of our Savior and being more and more like him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for just letting us wake up this morning and have a reason to celebrate. We have a reason to... To, to wake up and get out of bed, and that reason is you, Lord. Uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was made into a sacrifice that we can be with you again. Thank you for his body and for his blood. Let us never take this for granted. Let, let us never take our freedoms in this country, our freedoms in Jesus for granted, Lord. Help us to remember in this moment the price from which we have bought and to remember that we are not garbage, we are not worthless because our Savior sacrificed himself for us. Thank you so much for Jesus. Help us to be more like him each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, please stand with me as we sing the psalm before Marshall's lesson this morning. 
Father to the fatherless, defender of the weak, freedom for the prisoners, we sing. This is God in his holy place. This is God clothed in love and strength. Lift your voice and cry out, awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. You with us in the wilderness, faithful to provide, every breath and every step we see. This is God in his holy place. This is God clothed in love and strength. Sing out, lift your voice and cry out. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. Sing. Raise your hands and shout out, awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. There is no higher, no, there is no greater, no, there is no stronger than our God. There Fourth of July, once again, for those of you who weren't here at the very beginning of our worship, thank you for being with us on an awesome day today. Uh, you know, I know some folks have already done some Fourth of July stuff. It's a beautiful day yesterday. Some of you were out on the lake. Some of you were cooking out and grilling out and blowing things up. And some of you are waiting to do that today. And I also know that some of you are like, pick it up, preacher. We got burgers cooking and we got stuff to do later on tonight. So let's get on with it. Understand, we're going to spend some time on the Word together today. And I'm excited to be uh, back with you. I've been out of town uh, this week and I'm excited to be back. I'm so thankful uh, to have somebody like uh, Brandon Dodd on staff with us. I know he did an awesome job uh, last Sunday um, talking about the greatest bachelorette of all time. And if you missed that, you need to go back on our YouTube uh, channel and, and find that. 
and uh, find out about the greatest bachelorette that we, that we have in Scripture. Um, but today, you know, we're going to be talking about the goat. I mean, uh, Luke mentioned that just a minute ago. We're talking about the greatest of all time. Who's the goat? Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who's the most famous? And we've been going through, even if you paid attention to some of our social media on Instagram and on Facebook, we've been putting these, these questions out there, these polls out there, like asking about who's, who's the greatest or what's the greatest in different categories. Uh, this last week we were talking, or I guess discussing uh, the greatest TV show of all time. That's kind of broad, you know. I mean, there's a lot of, of great TV shows. And, and I was pleasantly surprised that Andy Griffith was getting a lot of votes. Uh, which is, it, it truly is one of the greatest shows of all time. So I'm glad that so many of you uh, thought correctly about that show. Um, <laughs> but we talk about who's the greatest in a lot of different categories. Uh, and, and it's musicians, it's actors and actresses, it's, I don't know, historical characters, it's uh, candy bars. I mean, we, just, we have all these different uh, thoughts about this. And, and here at Flagstone for the last few weeks and for a couple more, we're going to be continuing to talk about the greatest of all time, but not these, these other categories that I just mentioned. We're talking about people in Scripture. We're talking about people that we see in the Word of God that were great at something, or God uh, empowered them to do something great. And they may very well be the greatest at that particular thing of all time. We talked about Elijah being the greatest fire starter of all time. Uh, we talked about Ehud, this guy Ehud that was left-handed. He's the greatest southpaw of all time. We talked on Father's Day about the greatest father of all time. We looked at different fathers that are mentioned in scripture and talked about how they, each one of them has some flaws and, and struggled to be the greatest, the greatest dad in the world, the number one dad. Uh, like I said, Brandon last week talked about Esther and the greatest bachelorette of all time. And they were all, they were all great at something or they did something great. Today we're going to talk about the greatest muscle man of all time. Or maybe you call it strong man, or maybe you call it weightlifter. I don't know. Muscle man sounded good to me, so that's that's the title that I used. And I'm I'm like Luke. You know, I've watched the those like strong man uh, competitions where you know they're pulling buses, they're lifting cars and carrying them, you know, a certain distance, or they're they're taking giant like boat anchors and running relays with them, and all that. It's just amazing. Uh, feats of strength that these guys have. Or maybe if you think about, you know, muscle men, you, you know, those uh, Mr. Universe competitions, I've never actually sat and watched the whole thing, but I've seen them. And I've seen the guys that have, like, they can't even put their arms down at their sides because they got so many muscles kind of pushing their arms out. Um, maybe, you know, you think of a young Arnold Schwarzenegger with his muscles rippling and then I'll be back kind of thing. That's my horrible Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Uh, impersonation there, but we we have this concept of of muscle man with these you know these strong rippling muscles, and we're going to talk about a guy like that that's in scripture. And to be honest with you, I don't know because scripture doesn't tell us this. I don't know that this guy Samson that we're going to talk about had all these muscles. His physical features aren't described except for his hair, which we'll talk about in just a second. So I don't know if he walked around like just bigger than everybody else and broad shoulders and couldn't put his arms down or if he just looked like a normal dude but just had a, this amazing um, amount of strength that God had given him. But if you don't know much about Samson, we're going to talk about him for just a minute. So um, maybe you've heard of him. Maybe if you, you know, grew up going to church, you may have heard the Bible story before. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, there's been movies and TV shows that, you know, made about Samson before. But you, if you got your Bibles or your Bible apps, 
Open up to Judges chapter uh, 13. And, and Samson's talked about, that's an Old Testament book. Uh, and, and he's talked about in the book of Judges between chapters 13 and 16. Now, we're not going to read all that uh, together. That would take a little bit of time today. But I would invite you uh, later on today, read through this story. It is an amazing story of what this guy Samson um, could do. So let me, let me kind of give you some of the highlights. Samson's parents struggled with infertility. They couldn't have kids. And they were getting to be older in age and never had, had a kid. And they were praying to God about it. And God finally, uh, you know, shared word with them. I'm going to let you guys you're going to be blessed with a pregnancy. You're going to have a boy. And this boy is going to be different. From birth, he's going to be dedicated as a Nazarite. Now, that was a special person among God's people that kind of had um, a, a, a vow to God and, and would be completely dedicated to God's service. And there were some things that he went through uh, to kind of make sure that, that he stayed connected to God and stayed in this special relationship with God. Um, and one of those things, and God specifically mentions it to Samson's parents before he's born, he tells them, I don't ever want you to cut his hair. His hair is going to grow long, you're going to let it grow long, but that's going to be part of his physical symbol of being dedicated to me, is having this long hair. And so that's one of the things that we know about Samson. Now, you know, we kind of fast forward after, you, after Samson's birth, and he becomes um, an adult, and he is attracted to this Philistine woman. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to most of us, but the Philistines were the arch enemies of the Israelites, the God's people um, at this time. And so he falls in love with this Philistine woman. He wants to marry her. And so he's going down to, to visit her one day. And while he's walking down the road, he's attacked by a lion. And he ends up, instead of running from the lion, he ends up grabbing a hold of the lion and tearing it apart with his bare hands. That's an amazing feat of strength. And he just kind of leaves a carcass over on the side of the road, and he goes on and he visits her. Well, he ends up marrying this girl. Back in that time, in, in the uh, Israelite culture of the day, marriages, it wasn't just like a short ceremony on, on a weekend. It was a week-long ordeal. And they would have this, this week-long banquet, and there would be family members that would come in from all over. And so Samson makes a bet with his future in-laws and says, I tell you what, I'm going to tell you a riddle. If you can solve it by the end of the week, then I will provide you, there were 30 of these guys, I will provide you with 30 changes of clothes. And if you can't solve it, you provide me with 30 changes of clothes. Well, they try to solve it and they can't. And now they're getting upset about this. And so they go to his future bride and they say, uh, you need to find out the answer for us. And if you don't, we're going to kill you and kill your family. Okay. So she goes and starts asking Samson, and he won't tell her the answer. He won't tell her the answer for three days. She just whines and complains, and I don't think you love me. And, and he finally gives in and tells her uh, the answer to the riddle. And basically, he had given him a riddle about this lion that he killed because he had passed by later. And in this dead carcass, some bees had come and, and created a honeycomb. And he had gotten some honey out of it. So he made a riddle about that honey inside of the dead lion. Okay, so she tells him the answer to the riddle, and so they come to him on the last day when he's expecting to get 30 changes of clothes, and they tell him the answer to the riddle, and now he's mad, and so he goes and he finds 30 random Philistines, and he kills them all, and he takes their clothes off of them and goes, here you go, I lost the bet, and so they, you know, now they're mad that he killed 30 of their friends, and so while he's out of town, uh, they go and they attack his well, I'm sorry, I, I got a different story. That didn't happen yet. They go and, and he leaves and they take the woman they were supposed to marry and they give her to somebody else. That was what happened. They give her to another guy. 
So now he's mad about them being mad about him being mad. And so that's when he catches what Luke talked about. He catches 300 foxes. I have never fox hunted in my life. Has anyone else? Okay. It's not something you have? Seriously? Sherry Swanson is fox hunting in her life. All right. And she got one. Okay. Was it a challenge? Okay. He caught 300. And he didn't shoot them. He caught them. 300 foxes tied their tails together, put fire in it, set them across the fields, the Philistines' fields, and set their fields on fire. Well, now they're, they're mad about that. And so uh, they, come to, um, they come to attack him. Actually, they come to, to attack the city that he's living in, which is an Israelite city. And they demand that those people, uh, um, I got lost in my notes again. Man, there's so much stuff going on with Samson. Let me back up. He sets fire with the foxes, and then they catch his, his new bride that had been given to somebody else. They take her and her father, and they stick him in the house, and they burn the house down on him. That's when that happened. Okay. I know. That's a bad part of the story. You probably should have skipped over it anyway. Then Samson gets mad about that, and he attacks in retaliation. He kills a whole bunch of them, and he goes and he hides in a cave. And then the Philistines come to the Israelites, and they say, you need to hand over this guy. And the Israelites are worried about the Philistines attacking them. And so they're like, they come to Samson and like, hey, we need to kind of hand you over. And he says, no problem. Just bind me up. And then they bind him up, you know, with some ropes. And as soon as they hand him over to the Philistines, he snaps the ropes in two, and uh, grabs, that's when he grabs the jawbone of this donkey and he kills a thousand of them. Then he goes to, later on down the road, we don't know how much time passed, he goes to the city called Gaza or Gaza and he goes in there, um, well, there's a prostitute there that he likes and so he spends the night with her and so there's some Philistines and other people that surround the city and they're going to wait for him to come out. They're going to attack him when he comes out of the city but he gets up in the middle of the night and he goes to the city gates and he rips the gates and the door frame, the, the door posts off of the door frame and he carries these, these gates and I don't know how big the gates were, big giant doors and door posts and he carries them 40 something miles away and puts them up on a hillside. And then on down the road, he falls in love with this other woman named Delilah. Maybe some of you have heard of her before. And she's a Philistine, uh, a Philistine woman as well. And uh, he falls in love with her. And the Philistines come to her and they say, okay, here's the deal. We'll pay you a whole bunch of money. They don't threaten her life like they did the other woman. They say, we'll pay you a whole bunch of money if you will find out what gives Samson his strength. Why is he so strong? Why is he so mighty? Find out the secret. And she agrees to it. And so when you read through uh, Judges chapter 16, you find these different ways that she tries to find out what the answer is. Why is Samson so strong? Why does he have all this, this might? And, and uh, he tells her, first off, he tells her that if, if, he was, if he was to be tied with seven fresh bowstrings, or some of your translations say seven fresh thongs, it's these, these ropes, these strings they would use in their weaponry. And he says, if they haven't been dry, they're, they're these fresh strings. If you bind me up with those things, I'll become just like any other man. And so she does that. She binds him up, and then she lets Philistines come. She says, hey, Samson, the Philistines are attacking. Ropes, strings, whatever, snap. And he goes and fights them, and they run away. So then he tells her, okay, just kidding. If you get new ropes that have never been used, and you bind me with those, then I'll, I'll be weak. I'll be like any other man. So she does that. She binds him up with brand new ropes that have never been used. And then the Philistines come to grab a hold of him. She says, Samson, Philistines are attacking. And the ropes snap, and he starts attacking them back, and they run away in fear. And then 
uh, he tells her, okay, all this long hair, he's got it in these big braids coming off his head. And he says, if you take the braids of my hair, the seven braids of my hair, and you weave them into a loom. Y'all know what a big loom is? You got a bunch, you ever seen at least pictures of it? A bunch of fabric and, I mean, it's this whole big machine. You weave it into that. I don't know, maybe he was telling her like he would be pinned and couldn't get free with the long hair. I'm not sure what the answer was, but if, if his hair was weaved into the loom, he would be as weak as any other person. So she weaves his hair into the loom. The Philistines come in. She says they're attacking, and he jumps up and basically rips the loom into pieces and goes and fights them back, and they run away in fear. And now Delilah is upset. And she's crying and she's complaining. She says, you don't love me. How can you say you love me when you lie to me all these times? And she whines about it. She whines about it day after day after day after day. Scripture even says that she was nagging him to death. And he finally tells her. He says, I'm a Nazarite. My hair has never been cut. If my hair was to be cut, I would be as weak as any other person. And so one day she causes him to fall asleep in her lap. She brings in a guy to cut off these braids of his hair. I I don't know how he didn't wake up in that process, but he's asleep. And then all his strength leaves him. The Philistines come in. They try to grab him. She says the Philistines are attacking. He jumps up, and he thinks he's still got the strength that he had, and then he realizes that he doesn't. And they grab him. They imprison him. They gouge out his eyes. And they leave him in prison for a long time. While he's in prison, his hair starts to grow again. I guess nobody really paid attention to that. And then on a certain day, they're going to have a big feast in the temple of their God. And they decide to bring Samson out for entertainment, this mighty warrior that killed thousands and thousands of their people. They're going to make fun of him. They're going to make a clown out of him. And so they bring him out to their temple. And I don't know what they're doing to to the... Chained up blind guy, but they're making fun of him. And he's standing next to the pillars that are the, the main foundational pillars that are holding up the roof of this temple. And, and he prays to God and says, God, just give me strength one more time. And God blesses him with that strength. And he pushes the pillars over and the whole building collapses on him and thousands of Philistines. And scripture tells us they kill more people in that moment than he had all these other times. That is a really quick summation of the life of Samson. But you see these different, you see these different feats of strength that he had. I mean, I've seen on, I've seen on TV, I think I've even seen in, in person one time, some of these muscular guys that can take a, a huge phone book and tear it in half. You ever seen that happen before? And it's amazing to see, I'm like, I can't do that. I'm amazed when I can see those guys tear a phone book in half. You know what I've never seen? Somebody tear a lion in half. Never seen that before. I've seen some of these muscle-bound guys take a frying pan and roll it up. Anyone ever seen that? Those, you know, I guess aluminum frying pans, they roll up. It's amazing to watch them be able to do that. I can't do that. But I've never seen any of those strong guys take brand new ropes and just treat them like little pieces of string. I truly think that Samson is the goat when it comes to muscle men. I think he may very well be the greatest muscle man of all time. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, okay, I don't disagree. Sounds good. Let's vote for Samson. He's the goat. What in the world does that have to do with me? 
there's something that I see in Samson's life that I also see in many of our own lives, or maybe at least in my life. Something that's a constant issue for many of us. And something that I think we need to address together this morning, and that's this. That the greatest muscle man of all time had a big weakness. And you look at Samson, you think there are no flaws, there are no weaknesses. I mean, he, he had all this strength, he had all this power. Where's, where's the example of weakness? But he had a really big weakness. And, and I mean, a lot of our muscle men have that, right? Superman, what's his weakness? Kryptonite, okay? The ancient uh, uh, Greek warrior, you know, Achilles, what was his weakness? His heel, right? I mean, even like actual people like Alexander the Great, one of the greatest conquerors of all time. Everybody thought he's completely invincible. He died of either being poisoned or getting some kind of disease. Nobody knows for sure. When he was like 30-something years old. Some of the greatest people with the most amount of power and strength also have weaknesses. When you look at Samson, you, you, what, what would you think is the weakness? Well, it must be his hair, right? You cut his hair, he's weak. I don't think that's really where, where Samson's biggest weakness was. I don't think that was the biggest problem in his life. And to be honest with you, when I look at Samson's life, when I read through Judges 13 through 16, the weakness that I see over and over in his life is women. Now, that's not to say the women cause weakness in general. I'm saying in Samson's life they did. I've heard him described before as, you, you know, the, the cartoon He-Man, that, that Samson was the He-Man with the She-Weakness that he constantly had problems with women in his life. And if you look at his history, if you look at his story, that's what's going on over and over again. It's this weakness that caused the biggest problems for him. And it's, it's, it's something that many of us struggle with. Not, not necessarily women in our lives, but many of us have a struggle. We have a temptation. We have a constant battle that we're fighting. For some of us, it's a habit, it's an addiction. It's something that maybe we've, we've gone to get help for, we've gone to get maybe even treatment of some kind for, and it comes back again and again, and we keep giving into it again and again. For some of us, you know, maybe it's our, maybe it's our health, maybe it's our diet. It's wrestling with, with food and with weight, and, and it continues to be a problem. Of all the good things that are going on in our lives, this is the one thing that keeps being a problem for us. For some of us, it's anger and it's resentment. And, and maybe the job's going good, maybe my family's doing okay, but I can't stand that person. And my attitude towards that person continues to be a problem in my life. And for some of us, it's selfishness, it's envy. We can't enjoy the blessings that God has given us. We can't find ways to be a blessing to other people because we're constantly comparing ourselves to what other people have and we're envious of what's going on in their lives and what we see them post on social media. And it continues to be a problem for us. For some of us, it's our finances. And we can, we can have a, a great spiritual walk. We can be connected with a church family. Our marriage seems to be going good, but we're constantly worrying about bills. We're living maybe even less than paycheck to paycheck. And we have all these, I mean, some of us, it's, it's just worry and anxiety. We believe in God. We trust in God. We believe that he's got a plan for us. We believe that he's in control, and yet we can't stop ourselves from continually living in fear and living in anxiety and thinking about worst-case scenarios, and it becomes a weakness in our lives. You see what I'm saying? 
And I don't know what all, what all of our stories are, but I guarantee that a lot of us in this room, a lot of folks watching online right now, if we would take an honest look at where we are at in our lives right now, we could recognize at least one thing, and that's a weakness. It's a weak spot. Satan keeps finding it, and he keeps using it, and it keeps being a problem. Whatever it is, it keeps rearing its ugly head again and again. That's what happened with Samson. It wasn't just about the hair. Samson had a problem with relationships and what he, and allowing these women to dictate his actions. And I can look at Samson. I mean, I read through Judges 13 through 16, and I look at that whole story that I just shared with you, and, and, I, and I say to myself, I, I say to him, Samson, how could you just let that keep happening? I mean, he's got one woman that begs him to tell the, the, begs him to tell her the answer to the riddle. And she keeps nagging and nagging and nagging until he finally comes, comes to giving her the answer. And you would think that after the end result of all that, when she ends up being killed and he ends up having to kill a whole bunch of other people in, in retaliation, you would think that Samson would go, man, that's never going to happen again. Skip over two chapters. It's happening again. And I, I, I will confess to you, I look in judgment. I look with judgment at, at Samson. God, what an idiot. How does he keep letting that happen? Until I take an honest look at my own life. And the same issue keeps coming back again. And the same thing I said, that's not going to be a problem for me anymore. It becomes a problem again. Why? Why does that happen? Why, why, do we, why do we find ourselves continually giving in to the same weakness? I've got a few reasons that I want to share with you this morning. We'll be done. But some things that, that may be going on in my life that is, that is causing me to keep returning uh, and, and being controlled by or being influenced by the same weakness again and again and again. And one reason is that, that I choose to stay when I should run. I choose to stay when I should run. When I was a kid, I think I was about 10 years old, and I was playing in, in the backyard of our uh, next-door neighbor's house. And, you know, pretty big yard, and, and they had an um, outdoor clothesline. And the poles for the, that were holding up the clothesline uh, were these, you know, metal poles, uh, and they were open on the end zone. It was just these old, you know, steel pipes or something they welded together to make... Uh, clothesline poles out of and there was a wasp nest inside there and there were some wasps that were flying around but we were playing a game and it was over there by the the clotheslines and and I don't remember if that was base or that I don't remember why we were still staying over there but some of the kids I was playing with were like hey there's wasps over there let's go over here nah it'll be fine and I kept saying it's no big deal it'll be fine until guess what happened I got stung wasps flew in I used to wear glasses back then all the time, and it flew in under my glasses and stung right underneath my eye. Thank you. I appreciate the sympathy there. <laughs> and within about 30 minutes, my whole, from here to here, was swollen. My eye was swollen shut. It was bad. I should have run, but I stayed. There was a dangerous situation there. There was hurt to be had, and I stayed there anyway. Because I convinced myself, I was trying to convince other people, 
It'll be fine. It's no big deal. After, after having his life threatened multiple times because of these women, especially Delilah, you would think that Samson would not just walk, but run away from her and run away from this situation. And they didn't. And he stayed there in spite of multiple times when this woman was trying to actually hand him over to be captured and even killed. And he stayed there. And yet that's what we do, don't we? We know that if, if, if I hang out with this person, if I go to this place, if I am by myself at this time, whatever it is, I know that that's going to be a problem. I know that that weakness is going to, is going to start to attack me again. I, I know that that's going to be an issue. I should run. I should run. And yet, I stay. Paul tells the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, reject every kind of evil. Some of your translations will say abstain from every kind of evil. Some of them even say flee from evil. Run from it. And if you go back to the original ancient Greek language that this, that this verse was written in, our English word, you know, reject or abstain, the Greek word there literally means to get away from, to, to create distance between myself and something else. And what Paul is saying is if there's something that is ungodly, if there's something that's going to cause me to do things that God doesn't want me to do, if there's something that God has said that's going to cause hurt for you or it's going to cause you to hurt somebody else, that my attitude, my actions in that moment should be right then, get away, run, reject, move away from it. Don't stay there. And yet I find myself getting frustrated for giving back into the same temptation I just said I wasn't going to give myself back into anymore. And one of the reasons that I do that is because I stayed when I should have run. Sometimes that weakness is a problem because I become desensitized. I lose sensitivity to it. Several years ago when our boys were younger, my wife Christy was with one or two moms and their kids, and they were in Branson at, uh, at the uh, Titanic Museum. Now, I don't know if this is still there or not. I've never been to that museum, but they took the kids there, and, and there was a place where there's a, a, basically a pool of really, really cold water. And they want you to, you know, you can kind of maybe touch it and, and, and you know, just kind of touch it and see how cold it is and recognize how cold the water was when the Titanic sank for all those people to go into the water and how quickly, uh, you know, people get in a really dangerous situation with hypothermia. Well, while Christy wasn't watching, one of our boys, uh, it became a contest, I think, with the other kids. I'm not for sure. You'll have to ask them. Uh, but they were holding their hands in that cold water to see who could stay in the longest. And one of our boys was winning. <laughs> he held it in there for a long time. And finally, I, was it a security guard? Somebody came up to Christy and was like, ma'am, I think your, your son's going to end up hurting himself there. And pulled his hand out. He couldn't feel his hand anymore. Like he was really close to experiencing hypothermia in the Titanic Museum. <laughs> and the problem was, after a little bit of time of holding his hand there, it, was, it hurt. It was really, really cold. It started hurting. But then the feeling went away. But the problem's still there. As a matter of fact, it's getting worse. There's hurt that's happening, but he couldn't feel it because he became desensitized to it. And this is what happens in our lives. 
I get to the point where I'm so used to the temptation or the struggle that I'm dealing with that it, that it just becomes normal for me. It becomes a part of who I am. And I, I don't really see it as an issue or as a problem anymore. I'm desensitized to it. That's what happened to Samson. Samson got that way, especially with Delilah. He got so used to her tricking him and, and, and still being able to get free that he didn't even recognize this is a relationship problem here. This shouldn't be this way. And if you go to Judges 6, 16, when uh, his hair is cut, when she says the Philistines are attacking you, Scripture tells us that Samson's immediate thought was, well, I'll just get up as I did the last time and, and fight these guys off. Not even realizing that the hair was short now. Not even realizing that God's power wasn't with him anymore, that the strength was gone. He was so desensitized by staying in this hurtful relationship to this point that he realized that there was a problem. That God's presence wasn't with him anymore. And folks, that's, that's a problem for a lot of us. And we stay in this temptation, we stay with the struggle, we keep repeating this hurtful action to the point that it just becomes something that we just don't even pay attention to anymore. It's just part of who we are. It's just what I do. It's the habit that I have, and I just can't get rid of it. You don't even pay attention to how much it's hurting me or how much it's hurting people that I care about because I'm desensitized to it. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. He says there are people who, who do ungodly things so much that they lose sensitivity to it. And again, if you bear with me, going back to the original language that's written in, this phrase that, that you see on the screen here that they gave themselves over, that is the same Greek word that's used a few books earlier to, to describe the betrayal of, Ju of uh, Judas when he betrayed Jesus, when he handed Jesus over to be arrested and to be crucified. It's the same word, the same concept that Paul uses here. What's he saying? That I, I am betrayed by my actions. I am given over to the control of Someone else, something else, this addiction, this habit, this attitude, this relationship, this friendship, whatever it is, it's now in control. I have been handed over to it, and I didn't even realize that it was happening because I lost all sensitivity. It didn't bother me anymore. I didn't feel it anymore. Paul says when I allow that to happen, when I allow myself to be put under the control of whatever it is that's a problem in my life, I end up losing sensitivity to it. It becomes normal. I don't see the problem. It doesn't eliminate the problem. I just don't feel it anymore. Maybe I give in to this weakness because, because I'm trying to see how close I can get to what I'll call the line. My sister and I, when we were kids, we'd go on family trips. You know, we always had to share the back seat. And she had, you know, eventually bickering would start. And one of our parents or both would say, you, need, you stay on your side and you stay on your side. And we would have, you know, maybe the seams in the fabric of the back seat or maybe just an imaginary line. But there was a line between the two of us. This is my side, this is your side. And then, you know what I would do? I'd get really close to her side. And I'd put my hand right by it. 
Mom, he's on my side. I am not. I'm not on your side. Look, I'm on my side. And I would, I would do that just to annoy and just to pester her. I would see how close I could get to the line without going over. And I think that's what a lot of us do with the, with the lines that God gives us. A couple of years ago, we, we went through um, a series together at Flagstone called uh, Guardrails. And if you missed out on that, man, I would encourage you to go back on our YouTube channel and go through some of those things. We talked about some of the, some of the guardrails that God has given us in Scripture, some of the, the guidelines for our lives, not to you know, hold us under his thumb, but to actually bless our lives and make them better. And stay in these guardrails, and, and things are going to go better. And the problem is that I, I will get as close as I can to that line. Whatever the boundary is that God has set, I'm going to get as close as I can to it. And that actually becomes a, becomes a problem because usually I just go tripping all the way over. And if I, would, if I would spend more time seeing how close I could get to God instead of seeing how close I could get to the line, I wouldn't keep... Falling under the trap of the same weakness over and over again. But no, I'll rationalize. I'll make excuses. I'll look for loopholes. I'll see how close I can get and, 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 and not be in trouble. And I mean, that's what Samson did. Samson had the same problem. I want you to see what a Nazarite, we're talking about Samson being a Nazarite. I want you to see what a Nazarite was actually supposed to do. So you can find this description in the book of Numbers. It's the fourth book of the Bible, the book of Numbers chapter 6. As God has given some rules to his people uh, before, you know, after they've come out of Egyptian slavery, before they're entering into the promised land. In Numbers chapter 6, he says, if you're going to be a Nazarite, this is what that, this is what that needs to look like. These are the physical things you're going to do to represent the fact that you are dedicating your life to God. And so here's the list. You couldn't have any wine or any kind of fermented drink. You couldn't even eat grapes or anything from a vine. Uh, you couldn't come anywhere near a dead body. Can't touch it. Can't come anywhere near it. And then you couldn't cut your hair. Now what we pay attention to is Samson, and what he paid attention to is what? The hair. There are some other things that Samson, you know, may have done. I mean, Samson drank wine. There were several banquets that he went to. Wine was being served. Okay? So, cross that one off the list. Uh, Samson, first of all, killed the lion. Then later on came back, reached inside the lion, and got this honey out that was in this honeycomb. Touched the dead body. Okay? Well, X that one too. Before we ever get to the hair, he's already broken some of the rules. You see what I'm saying? Now, Samson could rationalize that if he wanted to. Somebody said, hey, you're not being a good Nazarite. Well, okay, all right, the dead body thing, okay, that was bad. All right, the, the fermented drink, the wine, okay, I probably shouldn't have done that. But the hair, I didn't cut the hair, right? I'm okay. It's not that big. Look, look. I mean, I know this is a rule, but I kept some of the rules. And we do stuff like this. I do this with God. You do this with God. God says, don't hate. Okay, I won't hate. I'll just be really, really bitter. God says, don't have sex with somebody you're not supposed to have sex with. Okay, I won't have sex. I'll just look at porn. God says, don't be greedy. Okay, well, I mean, I'm still going to go into debt because I, I need it. God says, don't gossip. 
I'll just tell one person. That's not really gossip if there's only one person. You see what we do? How close can I get to the line? Where are the loopholes? How close do I think I can get and not actually get in trouble? This is what Samson did. And this is what we do. And, and sometimes I think that the, the, whatever the thing is that keeps being a problem in my life continues to be a problem because I'm consistently trying to make excuses for how close I can get to not being in trouble with God. Instead, just answering the question, how close can I get to God? How can I be in a better connection with Him? I'm not even worried about the line. I want to get close to Him. And these are some of the things that I see in Samson's life that demonstrate why he kept giving in to this big weakness, why, why it continued to be a problem in his life. And I recognize, if I'm honest with myself, I recognize this is why I have some of the same problems over and over again in my own life. And if I, if I, could, just, if I could just start running instead of staying, if I could start running away from the problem instead of staying in it, if I, could, if I could be bothered by the struggle instead of allowing myself to become desensitized to it. If I could crave closeness to my God instead of closeness to the line. Maybe this struggle would go away. Maybe it wouldn't have the presence in my life that it does. And that's what I want for us this morning, folks. I want to wrap up in just a second. I want us to recognize together that some of us are struggling with the same struggle we have been for a while. And that's the way Satan operates. It's the way Satan works. But I think if we could recognize some of the things that we are doing, some of the choices that we are making, the actions that we are taking to keep us in the struggle instead of getting away from it, I think if we can make some changes in those things, maybe it wouldn't be a struggle anymore. But I want to give you one quick message of hope as we end today. One more thing about Samson, a positive thing. You got this great muscle man with this big weakness, and it wasn't the hair. It was the, it was the struggle with these relationships and, and how he continued to allow these women to get him into trouble. And they cost him his eyes, and they cost him his, his pride, and it cost him his life. And the question I need to answer for myself this morning is what is, what is my struggle actually costing me? I mean, let's be honest. How, how big is the price that I've paid so far? Is it costing me friendships? Is it costing me a dating relationship? Is it costing me my marriage? Is it costing me my family? Is it costing my health? Is it costing my faith? Is it costing my soul? What price have I paid so far to this thing that needs to be out of my life? But here's the key thing about Samson and his connection with God. In, in Judges chapter 16, as he is brought into this temple and as he is put uh, beside these pillars, he prays to God. In verse 28, says, Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more, one, once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. It's interesting. That Samson in this moment asked God to remember him. God, please remember me. And if I could have heard Samson pray that day, 
I think I would have, I, I hope I would have come up to Samson and said, Samson, God has never forgotten. God has never forgotten you. You may have forgotten him. But he's never forgotten you. Yeah, Samson broke his vows and he did some ungodly things. But even though it seems like Samson had forgotten about God in his life and, and, and his need for God's presence in his life, I don't believe God ever forgot about him. And I don't believe God ever forgets about me either. And if there's one thing that I want you to key on in this morning, besides everything else we've talked about together, it's, it's that fact. My God never forgets about me. That when I cry out to God, when I recognize the problems in my life and where I am now compared to maybe where I used to be or where God has called me to be and I'm just not there. And when I cry out to him and I say with the same words, the same heart that Samson had, God, please remember me. I need to hear in my ears, in my heart, I need to hear the voice of God saying, I never forgot. I never forgot you. I've always been here. I've always been mindful of you. One of my favorite stories that Jesus ever told is in Luke chapter 15 of the, the, the kid that we call the prodigal son, the, the, the kid that had everything and walked away from it. Took his money, ran away from his dad, went off, blew it all, ends up in destitute poverty. His life is a shambles. And scripture says he comes to his senses. He remembers, he remembers how good he had it back home. And he decides to go home again. And one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures, Luke chapter 15 and verse 20, where it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. How did this man see his son a long way off? It's because he was looking for him. Every single day, this father is looking out the door for his son. Maybe today's the day he'll come home. Maybe it's today. Wasn't today, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow comes, I'm looking. Maybe it's today. Maybe day after day, he is constantly looking for his son. Why? Because he never forgot him. His son forgot how good it was to be at home. His son forgot how good it was to be in that connection with his father. But the father never forgot. And neither does our heavenly father. And I'm not saying that just because we're church and it's a cliche thing to say I believe with all my heart and I want every single person here to know my God never forgets about you no matter how far you get away from him so this morning we've talked about this muscle man we've talked about weaknesses maybe even as we've been sitting here together we started thinking maybe a, a weak spot in our own lives but even if that weakness is there, I want us to be reminded this morning that our God, He never runs away. He never forgets about us. And He's always ready for us to come back to Him. And if that needs to happen for you this morning, we want it to. We, we want you to be reminded of how loved you are by God. We want some of you to discover for the first time how loved you are by God. He has always remembered you, even if you never really knew him, because you're his creation. 
He wants desperately for you to come home. And so, yeah, we're going to have a cookout, and it's going to be fun. And you got 4th of July plans, and there will be fireworks going off later on tonight. But in this moment right here, right now, let's be honest about where we are with God. Let's be honest about maybe where that weak spot is in our lives. And let's choose to do something about it. And if you need to talk to me, one of our shepherds, maybe somebody sitting next to you, we'll do that today. I want to offer a prayer right now. But I'll be out here today. I'll be here for the whole cookout. And I got no problems at all. You come up to me going, hey, I need to talk for a minute. I've got a weak spot and I need some help. I need to know how to get in this relationship with God that you keep talking about. And we'll answer all the questions that we can, spend all the time we can, so that you know what it's like to feel that kind of acceptance and love for our amazing Father. Let's pray together. God, thank you for today. Thank you so much, God, for, for your forgiveness and your grace, for your acceptance, for choosing to accept us where we are, but wanting so much more for us, God. We just thank you for having that kind of love for us. And God, I thank you for this story that we shared today as Samson and recognizing the amazing power that you gave him, but also, God, how he allowed his own, his own struggles to, to walk away from the power and strength that you were giving him. And, and God, how so many of us do the same thing. That you promised to give us your spirit. You promised to be a presence in our lives. You promised to bless us. And we consistently, some of us consistently walk away from that and choose something else instead. Forgive us of that, God. And help us want to be close to you. Help us want to be your children. Help us to want to return to you if we've walked away. Give us that willingness today, God. If there's anyone here, if there's anyone here, anyone that's listening online right now in this moment, who, who needs that reconnection, please give them the courage to, to share that with us, to let us know. Not because we have all the answers, but because we have the answer in you, Father. And help us to, to do what we can to bring them to you. We give this morning to you and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even though I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near.
together, huh? I saw faces today I haven't seen in a while. Well, we're really glad you joined us today. Marshall, great lesson. That was, uh, that was, that was really nice to, to hear today. Uh, we all have our weaknesses, and you said it for it, and we come together to try to strengthen each other. So we, uh, we appreciate the word that you uh, shared with us today. I've only got one announcement, and then um, Devin is going to uh, come up and give you directions on the potluck and close for us. So um, if you are an incoming first grader, or if you have an incoming first grader, you need to email um, Stephanie, and that's with an F, S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E, at flagstonecoc.org. You should be able to find that email address in the, in the Wednesday um, emails that go out. And if you're not on that list, then uh, let us know, and we'll make sure you get uh, included in that. Um, but that's all the announcements that I have today, so thank you all for being here. I guess I could have just let you do it all, couldn't I? <laughs> Maybe. Good morning. Happy Fourth of July. Well, we've cooked out for you, so we hope you'll stay and join us. We have burgers and hot dogs and chips and beans and pasta salad and cookies, so there's plenty out there. <laughs> I will give, if you're staying with us to eat, we'll create the line out this door on this side of the auditorium and the food set up right in the lobby. Uh, there are, if you have kids, we do have burgers that are a little smaller. They're in a tub, uh, a kind of a greenish tub that are quarter pound burgers, a third of a pound, so a little bigger. We'll ask you the first time through to only grab either a burger or a hot dog the first time through. We'll probably have leftovers. We want to make sure everybody gets a chance at uh, some meat product, if they want a meat product. Table set out outside. You're welcome to eat outside or at the standing tables in the lobby. 
Uh, there's games set up out there. The drinks are all outside. So there's ice chest kind of against the wall. And there's also a big cooler with, uh, so you can pick your own potato chips out there. So should be fun. Uh, look forward to you joining us and us uh, fellowshipping after this. So let's pray for the food and close worship. And then I guess uh, Jordan has one last song. Is that right, Jordan? Video. Oh, just video. All right, perfect. Let's pray. Dear Almighty and powerful Lord, we thank you for all that you've blessed us with. We thank you for our country, and we thank you for to uh, uh, worship you and to administer to others and, and share with the world. Dear Lord, we ask that you, you open our hearts, that we are always open to those around us, that we show the love that you have for everyone, uh, and that uh, we seek out to uh, share your word and your love, food, and the fellowship this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. Skit Guys here. Just want to wish you a happy Fourth of July. Enjoy it with your family. Enjoy the freedom that we have. It's going to be great. You know, there's 150 million hot dogs sold every Fourth of July. So that's really cool. John Adams in 1777 was the one that said, hey, fireworks, we should shoot fireworks. So, enjoy the, I don't need to do that. Okay, okay, happy 4th! Happy 4th of July. Stand up for one more, we'll be on our way. Before the world was made, before you spoke it to me, you were the king of kings. Yes, you were, yes, you were. And now you're reigning still, and praise cry out. We join them as we sing glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. Glory to God. 